What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. So excited to have my next guest on the show, Frank King, a.k.a. the mental health comedian, is a suicide prevention and postvention public speaker and trainer who turned a lifelong battle with depression into a keynote worth spreading. Frank King has a mission to end mental health stigma by sharing his insights as a motivational speaker. You do not want to miss this episode. Frank King next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Patrick here. Thank you for tuning in. Please share this show with family and friends and give us that five-star rating and review. If you love the show, I know you will on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to you, the first responder, whatever you were doing, wherever you were at. Thank you for doing it. And remember this, you are honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Keep up the fantastic work. There are so many people out there in the world that are struggling with mental health challenges, addictions, or both. I know what you're going through. I have been there. I am here to help any way I can. Our Shatterproof program for first responders is here for you. Please do not wait another day. Reach out for help now. Give me a call, 303-960-9819. You are loved. The world needs you. You can get better, and we will help you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Very excited to have my next speaker on the show or next guest on the show. I was thinking what he does. You probably have seen him. If you haven't, you have to check out his TED Talks. He is Frank King. He spent uh, a long time in the uh, entertainment industry. Again, he's done many TEDx talks, very popular out there. He's on the show to talk about mental health. Frank, thank you for being here, sir. Uh, it's part of a plea bargain. I really didn't have any choice, <laughs> Patrick. It was part of your part, on the highway. Part of your probation is you have to appear on podcasts. You knew yeah, that the judge, the, the judge talked to you about this, Frank, before you came on the show. You know that. Yeah, he said, "Look, pick up trash on the weekends along the highway, or do Patrick's show." Okay, fine. <laughs> so, Frank, tell tell the listener 
a little bit about your background. I hit some of the highlights at the beginning. I mean, you worked in the entertainment industry. You worked as a writer on many famous shows you can talk about. And how you ended up in the place you are helping people get TED Talks, like we talked about a little bit, but actually becoming a very, very popular speaker out there. How'd you, how did you explain the pathway to this, brother? Well, it starts in the fourth grade. I'm nine years old. <laughs> I tell my first joke. Kids laugh. Teacher hysterical. She was laughing so hard. She had excuse herself to go to the teacher's lounge. Yeah. And I thought, at nine years old, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah. At 12th grade, after three years of drama, getting no parts, no speaking roles, I'm beginning to see a pattern. So I thought, you know what? If I do stand-up, I can write, produce, direct, and star on my own little show every night. And there was a talent show, second semester, senior year. And I went on. I won. Of course, I beat an accordion player and folk dancers. Not a big victory, but it's like beating the French. Who cares? Um, Do you know this? That... That Cinco de Mayo is is the day they're celebrating, I guess, Mexico beating France. Oh, come on. Who hasn't beaten France? Anyway, <laughs> um, the after 12th grade, I said to my mother, I'm going to be a comedian. She said, you're going to college first. I don't care what you do when you get done. You can be a goat herder for all I care, but you're going to be a goat herder <laughs> with a college degree. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill, got a couple of degrees, then bolted for the West Coast. Did my first open mic night, April 1st, 1984. Halfway through my set, I heard a voice in my head, you're home. So you so, found your place. Second thought was, I'm going yeah, to do this for a living. I had no idea how. 18 months later, I said to my girlfriend, now my wife of 35 years, I'm going on the road to be a stand-up comedian. You want to come along for the ride? Figuring she'd go, oh, hell no. She goes, Yeah. So we gave up our jobs in our apartment. She and I were on the road. Kind of an unofficial record. 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop, no wow. home, working wow. comedy. Seven years and change. And then got, some, got a job in radio. And like most people who work in radio, two kinds of people in radio. People who have been fired. People who are going to be fired. So <laughs> I got fired. And then the comedy club boom and busted. But my act was clean. So I thought, I'll do corporate comedy after dinner, after lunch. And I discovered very quickly, people ask me, what's the difference between a club comic and a corporate comic? About $5,000 a day plus travel. <laughs> I'm no math major, but yeah, so I rode that, I rode that horse till the end of 2007, early 2008. And then the recession hit and bookings yeah. dropped off 80% of night. And we lost everything in a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. Yeah. Spoiler alert for the audience, I did not pull the trigger. I tell that story and then I say, look, a friend of mine came up to me after a keynote recently. Hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? Hey, man, could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? <laughs> so anyway, the reason I didn't pull the trigger is in my first TEDx talk. That was the thing. Uh, I, when conferences came back, Meeting planner said, Frank, we love you. We just can't pay you five grand anymore just to be funny. You've got to teach the audience something. Absolutely. What? So I, I read a book called The Message of You by Judy Carter. The Message of You. Turn your life into a money-making speaking career. Went into it thinking I got nothing. About halfway through, I thought, oh, yes, I do. Given the fact that I live with two mental illnesses and I came close to killing myself and depression and suicide run in my family, more nuts in my family than in a squirrel turd. 
I thought if I get some training in suicide prevention, I could keynote on it. Yeah. Not knowing what a big deal suicide is. And one person dies by suicide every 11 minutes in the U.S. And so I put together a keynote. Now, the reason I started doing TEDx talks, I'm a comic. Who's going to believe I can do anything serious? Mm-hmm. So my wife suggested TEDx talks. So I applied and I got my first one and actually came out as mentally ill. Nobody knew I was mentally ill until I came out of the mental health closet in that TEDx. Um, and and that led to two, two other events contacting me and saying, do you have any more, you know, mental health topics? Yeah. So then I applied for three and I applied for the next next four. And that makes seven. And the eighth one, I got contacted by a TEDx in India because I have a huge footprint on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, sure. they, have, they focus a lot on their algorithm toward India. And they asked me if I would do a TEDx virtually. I did. And I just landed my 10th one in San Diego in July. Um, and Bill Gates only has eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you ever get people? I'm sure you do. Frank, I mean, people coming up to you after a TEDx saying, um, you really, I'm assuming you do, even though I hate to assume, you know, you saved my life. I mean, you, you made it more recognizable and, and the flip side of that, do you get people coming up to you? Maybe you have that say, I can't believe you're, you're making light of mental health. What do you think? Uh, actually a couple of things that work there. Yes. People come by afterwards. Uh, matter of fact, when I keynote, I do general Q and a at the end. And before I do that, I go, look, if you have a question you want to ask or a story you want to share and you don't want to do it in front of everybody, hey, Frank, I'm crazy. Can you help me? I'll hang out another 45 minutes. And sometimes there's two people and sometimes 10 people lined up. Because what happens is when I go on stage and I'm vulnerable and I tell my story, especially, especially as a guy, yeah, yeah, men don't generally talk about that kind of thing. It gives other people permission to give voice to these things. And most of the conversations start like this. I've never told anybody this. Yeah. Really? I get that a lot. If you're a comedian, the rule is you can make fun of any group to which you belong. If I was Uh neurotypical or neuronormal, I could not get away with the stuff I get away with. Oh, absolutely. That makes Um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I, you know, because I've experienced it, the, my favorite, my favorite actually was a uh, psychologist came up to me after my talk and he said, look, you're not a psychologist or psychiatrist. You're not even a therapist. What gives you permission, the right to talk about suicide prevention? And I said, because I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Yeah, you've been there. And in the silence that followed, I said, look, here's the deal. I can go to school and learn absolutely everything you know. You will never know everything I know. Good point. And what what did he say? <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, check me. Thing. <laughs> I've had, yeah, exactly. Mic drop. Uh, I had a young woman come up to me at a school in Virginia. I speak at colleges as well. And she goes, um, can I give you a hug? And I said, now, this is right in the middle of the Me Too movement. Everybody in the room's got a phone with a video camera. I can see the headline in the in the paper the next day. Speaker gropes co-ed. Um, so I gave, her one, I gave her a hug, but I pushed my pelvis back as far as I possibly could. You know how you do that with a... Yeah, yeah. And I said, after we finished, are you a hugger? She goes, no, I'm not a hugger. I go, what's with the hug? She goes, well, I've been in therapy for two years. And my therapist is good. She's got the diplomas on the wall. She knows her stuff. The problem is she has no contact. 
She goes, 15 minutes into your talk, I'm thinking to myself, oh, dear God, he's inside my freaking head. She said, your 45 minutes did more for me than two years of therapy with her. Because yeah. there's that context. You, I, you know, I understand. I hear the same music. I'm not going to judge. And so that's the power of but I, but I think you, you, hit, you hit something on there for, and I've had my own mental health challenges. I've gone through treatment. I've been suicidal. I had a gun to my head. I didn't put it in my mouth. I was like, Hey, it might be work better this way. But I, I think when you are, when you've been there, Frank, and you know, this, when you've been in those positions, you've been in that dark hole, I think to try to explain that to somebody else who's never been there they might have some challenges but really in a dark fucking pit where they're about to kill themselves i i think there's a disconnect there you know what i mean oh, yeah. well and, and when i speak whether it's a tedx or a keynote part of it is for the 25 percent of the people in the room who undoubtedly have a mental health challenge mm -hmm. and the rest of it is for the 75 percent of the room that's neurotypical that has trouble understanding how anybody could think that way i get this how could life be so bad you'd want to kill yourself well here's here's the deal in the majority of cases the person who is suicidal does not want to kill themselves they just want to end the pain yeah. i didn't want to kill myself i just wanted to end the pain yeah good point so so i do my best to decode i was in pensacola florida doing my fourth tedx it's called suicide the secret of my success dead man talking which is a whole nother story but there were two women there and they had been vacationing in Pensacola. They went on Google, things to do in Pensacola this weekend. The TEDx pops up and they see suicide prevention speaker, Frank King. So they came to this thing. They paid $95 a piece mm -hmm. to come to this thing. And then of course, that morning before we started, somebody said to me, are you going to leave when you get done speaking? Because you're in the first set of speakers. I said, no, I can't leave. And they said, why can't you leave? I said, when we break for eliminating cookies, just watch what happens. And sure enough, we broke for eliminating cookies. There are eight people in line ready to talk to me. <laughs> and they came up and she said, you know, my brother was struggling, came to live with us. He was living with depression. I thought he was getting better. And then I came home from work one day and discovered he'd ended his life. And they were there simply for me to help them understand you know, and I said, look, I'm guessing he didn't want to die. I'm guessing that, like most of us, he just wanted to end the pain. But, but wasn't he thinking about the people he's going to leave behind? Yeah. I said, look, one of the three legs of a three-legged stool in suicide is something called burdensomeness. Burdensomeness. Most people who are going to kill themselves are thinking about the people they're leaving behind. They're actually thinking the world would be better off, these people would be better off if I were gone. So it's almost a selfless act, irrational. Yeah. But I knew my wife would be better off because I had a million dollar life insurance policy. We just filed bankruptcy. She'd get a million bucks tax free. She'd be heartbroken, but not broke. So I was thinking about, I thought I, I can solve this problem. Um, you know, I can restore her financially. So yeah. anyway, that's, they do come up afterwards. Yeah. And my, my um, because I have depression, which is common, I have something rare called chronic suicidal ideation which means for me and people like me, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And I say to the audience, when I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new and three, I could just kill myself. Jeez. They laugh. I go, I know it's absurd. But the upside of that is every time I've spoken since 2014, 
almost every time, there's been at least one person in the audience who has that. They don't know it has a name. They think they're just some kind of freak and completely alone. I did a college. Young woman came up afterwards. Thanks for the keynote. You're welcome. She said, but I got to tell you, it made me weep. I yeah. didn't make you weep. She said, you know, your story about the car break, you know, get get it fixed by it. She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I, I didn't know that had a name. Yeah. I was just some kind of freak and completely alone. And when I heard you say that you have that, I realized first time in my life that I was not, in fact, alone. And I wept. Well, how do you get so past that? How, how do you get? So that's the return. So how do you get past that? If you personally, okay, you gave an example, a powerful example. You know, you're, you're, you know, your car breaks down. I have these options. One of them on the table is I'm going to kill myself. So how do you, and for the listener out there, I'm sure somebody listening might have the same thing going on in their head. Okay. It's always on the menu. I can order it and get it if I want to. Yep. How do you move past that? You know, because a lot of people view. Well, one, go ahead. Yeah. One, because I had a young woman come up to me after a keynote in Cincinnati last year and she said I've got that is there medication for that chronic suicidal ideation I said no I said as a matter of fact it's not in the diagnostic and statistical manual the DSM-5 yeah I've, I've mentioned that to clinicians you know 20 years in the business and they've stared at me like a pig at a wristwatch because <laughs> they had no idea they'd never heard of it yeah um I said but here's the deal it's simply a coping mechanism it's a way when things get tough, you get stressed, the problem seems insoluble. Your brain goes, wait a minute, we can fix this. <laughs> here's a, here's like a possible it, solution over here. Yeah. So A, you know, I said to her, you don't have to act on it just because it thought crossed your mind. It's just a way for your brain to cope. I said, B, if suicide truly is about pain, I believe that my chronic suicidal ideation keeps me alive because... I made the decision a long time ago. I could kill myself at any moment. I've crossed that barrier. And so knowing that I can end the pain anytime I like allows me to stand a great deal more pain. So it, I think of it almost as a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense um, that, you know, it's, two it's years always... ago we had a, and there's a, Go there's ahead. a number three in there. Yeah. Two years ago we had uh wildfire, and in, in, uh, on the West coast with wildfires, they have a three-step, um, you know, one, uh, let's see, level three is get ready. Level two is get set. Level one is go get, you know, get the hell out of the neighborhood. Don't look back because those wildfires move like that. So I'm downtown. It's level three. I think, well, you know, I got a doctor's appointment. I got plenty of time to get home in case we go to level two. And Cause we had nine, nine or 10 rescue cats in the house. The dogs has already been sequestered at the boarding facility we use. On my phone, the alarm, the alert goes off. We went from level three to level one in a flash. And I'm like, and they're evacuating my neighborhood. But there are nine cats, 10 at the time, cats in that house. And I'm thinking, there's no way I could live myself if I thought there was a chance I could save them and didn't. Mm -hmm. So I drove back in the neighborhood. There's nobody there. I, the fire is a mile and a quarter away. I can see it and Gotta smell get it coming the over cats. there. I'm, in, I'm inside. I, huh? Got to get the cats. I'm inside stuffing cats. Gotta get the cats. I'm stuffing cats in the carriers. By the way, I have a whole new respect for the phrase herding cats. <laughs> Every time I stick one in, two jump out. I'm like, <laughs> so like, I, I finally get them loaded. <laughs> exactly. Get them in the car. And I made a video because I wasn't sure we we're going to get out of the neighborhood. I wanted to make the video and then upload it, 
you know, send it to my wife, text it to my wife, whatever. So she would know what happened. And a friend of mine said, you, you know, you could have been killed. And I said, dude, I've been trying to do that to myself for decades. So, you know, I, and, and then he said, you could burn alive. I go, no, 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 no. If the flames were licking my toes, I've got a nickel plated Ruger 38 with hydroshock hollow points. I'm not going out in a fire. I'm taking the 38 express out of town. But fortunately the cats and I got out of the neighborhood, but I mean, I was in the video, I'm thinking about it, my wife and my sister, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I go and, and her husband, my asshole brother-in-law, I said that, you know, I'm a comic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, but that, but that's the, so the young lady, back to the young lady, A, it's just a coping mechanism. B, you don't have to do anything about it about it it's just the way your brain copes with stress yeah just options out and there. i said yeah just options and for me doing what i do for a living and having people come up like that young woman at the college i was in billings montana at the university of montana billings i'm standing at the curb i've just done a show or performance it's dusk snowing i can hear a river in the distance kids going to get the truck to pick me up take me back and I, I don't know if it was the snow and the river and the time of day, but I thought to myself, oh, you know what? I'm like George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. I've been shown what these people's lives would be like if I weren't there simply to speak and reassure them they're not alone. And if I kill myself, I would undoubtedly take a lot of those people with me who never had a chance to hear me speak. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons I don't kill myself Yeah, is, you know, for them, a friend of mine said, you can't live with that. I go, no, dude, you missed the point. I can't die with that. Yeah. I can't exactly. die. I could have saved. I had a heart attack one week before my first TEDx. Saturday afternoon, I'm on the hill with the dogs, three dogs walking the trail by myself. And I had a heart attack. I've had, I've had two aortic valve replacements um, and a double bypass. And I realized it's a heart attack and I'm a half mile from the car. And 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 I, I got T-Mobile, so I don't have cell service. And so I got AT&T now. I'm not rolling those <laughs> dice again. And I had to make it back to the car. Yeah. And people go, well, we, we know when you're having a heart attack, the heart muscle's dying. You are essentially dying. And what are you thinking going down the hill? Do you see a light? Do you hear your dead relative's voices? Think about your wife? I go, you know what I'm, what's, what I'm doing? I'm crying. Because I'm thinking to myself, if I could have just lasted another week and gotten on stage at that TEDx and done my, my suicide prevention TEDx, how many lives I could have saved and I'm not yeah. going to get the chance. Yeah. And B, we have three German Shepherd rescues. And the, the road we came in on, pulled off of to go walk, is a busy logging road where trucks are going back like this, you know, hell bent for leather all day long. And I know if I don't get the dog secure in the car, that it could end poorly for them. So my only goal is actually to get get back to the car, get them loaded, door closed. If I drop that, then fine. We're like the Marines. We never leave anybody behind. Yeah. Well, and I love so it I drive because- home, I get in the car, I drive home. I... Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just going to comment that oh, you're, I drive home. you're in it for the greater good. I mean, bigger than yourself, which I love and I admire. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at trying to save as many people and get your message across to as many people as possible saying that I've been through this. This is not the answer. You know, your your story is somebody mm -hmm. else's script, right? Yes. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Frank, hey, so I drive two miles home. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I listen. I, <laughs> I drive two miles home. I um, 
I thought I'll call 911. I thought, wait a minute, what if I dial 911 then collapse in the kitchen? And my wife comes out and I'm on the floor in the middle of the day in the kitchen. So I yelled at my wife, honey, dial 911. I'm having a heart attack. This is what I hear, Patrick. I'm in the bathroom. I got the fan on. I can't hear you. <laughs> Are you shitting me? She is. I walked half mile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She opens the door, takes one look at my face, which she said was whiter than the Oscars, and <laughs> called 911. I had a 25-minute ride to the, you know, the emergency room. By the way, here's a little tip for you. When you show up at the hospital having heart attack symptoms, there's no waiting. Uh, they roll me right in. Yeah, just now, fill out this questionnaire. <laughs> yeah. The nurse is there. I'm there. It's, I mean, it's killing me. And she literally killing me. And she says, Frank, look, no paperwork, but I got to ask you one question. As a comedian, I said, when she said, I got to ask you one question, I said, honey, I'm married, but I love the way you. <laughs> She's trying not to laugh. She goes, what's your, I know your full name is Frank Marshall King III, but what do you like to be called? Through the pain, I said, Big Daddy. <laughs> to this day, when I go back to Oregon Heart and Vasco and I see somebody from that morning, hey, Big, Big Daddy, Big how's Daddy. <laughs> Yeah, so obviously I survived the heart attack. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and can, anyway. comedy, comedy is such, uh, it is a medicine, right, Frank? I mean, you've been doing this a long time. I mean, it is. Yeah, I mean, it is good for the better. soul. Yeah, it's good for me, but it's better for the audience, I think, yeah. because if you can, if you can, and people have an idea in their mind what mental illness looks and sounds like, and they see me on stage, and I'm relatively high functioning, and I'm a comic, and I wrote for Leno, and it's just not exactly what they think of when they think of mental. Illness. I'm trying, which changes the perceptions, which changes prejudices, yeah. and hopefully reduces the stigma of. You know, a, there's a stigma with mental illness and a separate stigma for thoughts of suicide because it scares the immortal dog shit out of people. Yeah. And so me up there talking about in very blunt terms, um, you know, I was on the campus at the building's campus at University of Montana. And it was open to the public as well. So there's two nice young men driving me around town to radio stations to promote the show because the public was invited. And they said to me, you know, Frank, on college campuses nowadays, comedians have a tough time because people, get, you know, get their feelings hurt and they get a toe stepped on and, you know, they get triggered. Uh, are you worried about that? Because you're a comic. I said, look, if I was doing comedy, I'd be very careful. But I'm here doing a keynote on suicide prevention to save lives. So here's my philosophy. If you're at my event and I, I step on your toes, fuck you. I'm here to save lives. Yeah, exactly. You can't sugarcoat this stuff, yeah. You know, and you're not going to make everybody happy. It's a touchy subject. Mm -hmm. You you say, look, I'm this is triggering, but why sugarcoat shit when you're I talking about life and death? Yeah, you know and I mean? that's the thing. There's a, a wives' tale, an old wives' tale, that you should never mention the word suicide in front of somebody who is depressed. And I love the reasoning as a comedian because it might give them the idea. Suicide? What a great idea! Why didn't I think of that? Trust me, it crossed my mind. As a matter of fact, go ahead, sir. missing out loud makes the, the chances they'll die by suicide go down. Because now you're focusing on it? Yeah, because when you, you drag it out in the sunlight, you know, and you 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 make it a topic of conversation, and somehow that 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 helps people make, make them less likely they'll do it if you, you know, that's part of the whole protocol. Yeah, yeah. If somebody says, I'm having thoughts of suicide, you say, 
do you have a plan? If they have a plan, it's detailed, time, place, method, you need to get them to a mental health facility. And if they're an immediate danger to themselves, you got to call 911. Because, and uh, bear in mind, if they may have been your friend before you did that, but they'll probably spend three days locked down in a mental health facility. And so they're going to unfriend you on Facebook, but at least they'll be alive. Where do you think we're we're going? I mean, I know there's a lot of awareness out there, Frank. There's great people like you out there talking about it, bringing more awareness, education to it. Where do you think, and maybe this is a broad question, I don't care, I'm going to ask you anyway. Where do you think we're going as a nation with mental health and resources out there for people? I mean, are we ever going to see this lesson or do you think it's going to just keep going and on and on and the upticks and suicide and, and all kind of depression and all this other stuff going on? I know there's a lot of external, you know, uh, forces that come into that, but just, you've been doing this a long time. You're out there talking to millions of people. Where do you think we're going as a nation? We're going to see any relief in this, any, any signs of getting better or just, cause every time you turn on, I mean, there's always especially in the first responder community, not just the first, first responders, but everywhere, people are killing themselves. Yes. Um, and uh, when I started this in 2014 with my first TEDx, if you watch my first TEDx, I put a slide on the screen. Every year in the United States, 39,000 people die by suicide. Well, I just did it the, for the fire chiefs and police chiefs. I just did it, a keynote. And now that number is 48,000. It, it, it dipped a little bit during the pandemic in part, they believe, because uh, over a million more people reached out to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline during the pandemic than normally reached out during an average year. People just like, fuck it, I got to call somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and so, and and now in 2022, it went back up again, and we hit 48,000 instead of 47,000. So, and there are certain occupations that have a higher rate, and I, I speak to six of the top 10 the civilian occupations um six of the top 10 at-risk occupations number one is construction they a thousand people die by accident every year in construction five thousand die by suicide you're five times more likely to jump off the building than fall off which is just ridiculous wow and as you said in the in the first responder community one of my co-authors on a four book series on men's mental health teaches QPR, question, persuade, refer. It's a suicide prevention protocol to first responders, mostly men. And, and that's the reason we wrote the book because she wanted to buy one of her first responders a book on men's mental health and couldn't find one. So she thought, well, there's a vacuum. So we, we were gonna write one book. We figured we could probably get 12 guys you know, to create an anthology. We could probably get 12 guys if we pushed hard to be upfront about their struggles. Well, we ended up getting 60 guys. And so it ended up being four books. We had no idea because it turns out um, men take advice from men and men, if they've recovered, they like to help other men recover. And so, although I got to tell you, we sell more of those books to women because I think they've got a man in their life. They just can't figure out how to help with this. So they... Yeah. It's it is a uh, it's it's a men's uh, men's mental mechanics manual, full of exercises and resources and and of course the twelve stories in each book of how a guy handled is handling their issue. And so where can the, they find uh, that, Frank? 
Amazon. Amazon, where all good things come from. Yes, Amazon. <laughs> uh, yes, so the, um, yeah, the, the all four books are up on Amazon. Uh, the, the official title is Guts, Grit, and the Grind. Guts, Grit, and the Grind. And that'll be a mental mechanics notes. manual. Now, the yeah, other thing yeah. that I wanted to talk about, let's talk, let's shift a little bit, brother. You help people get prepared and, and help them get on TED Talks. How did you land into that? Obviously, you've been doing them for a, a long time. So now you're helping people. Yep. So talk a little bit about well, that for a few it, minutes. Um, I kept getting asked by people, hey, man, you got X number of TEDx Talks. Can you help me get one? Friends of mine. So I'd help them. And another friend of mine who's a business coach, um, she said to me in a conversation, you know what, Frank, I get the impression you're teaching people to get TEDx talks and not charging them. Now, bear in mind, she's a business coach. She goes, <laughs> that shit's got to stop. Got to make she some turned green. Me on to a guy who built me. Yeah, she turned me on to a guy who built me a website and I started charging. And I began with 3997 four grand. And then I bumped it to five and to six. Now it's 7,500. And, and I also have a separate program for how to make money, speaking, cruises, colleges, associations, also 7,500. But I realized that I had a, I had a skill set. It's kind of like being a card counter in a blackjack game in Vegas. You know, card counting is not illegal, but it's not really encouraged <laughs> in vegas and what's happened is um because i'm so good at helping other people no because i'm so good at getting myself tedx talks obviously I, I, i've done nine i got tenth one coming up this summer um i've figured out how to game the system and tedx is pissed wow. the last five tedx's i've done they won't post for that reason Wow. They're mad because I keep getting one right after another, right after another. And you're not supposed to have more than two or three. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy that they're unhappy because it means, you know. Well, um, you're doing that. It doesn't, doesn't hurt my coaching. No, no, no. And you're doing it for a greater good. You know? Here's the irony. Yes. Here's the irony. They tell you in their written material, it's not about the person. It's all about the idea we're spreading. Well, mm -hmm. if that's true, and my ideas were spreading or saving lives, why are you not posting them? Who, who cares? Why do you care that I'm a speaker? Why does that matter to you? Why do you care that I've got nine of them? If, if somebody, how many lives can we save? You publish those other five. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I have people write me occasionally that, you know, I, I thought I was alone or I've always, you know, I've always thought this, but I was never able to put it into words and I saw your talk. So anyway, that's how I got into it. And what I realized was that the first hurdle in a TEDx application, they get a couple of hundred per event. So whatever you put on that application, the first couple of lines better be, you know. Eye-catching. Jumping. Yeah. Make them, make them curious. They got to read on. And I discovered that when I did my fourth one, which was Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. Um, the idea is I was married and miserable, selling insurance, miserable. And I realized if I didn't start doing open mic nights, which is where I thought I belonged, my first wife didn't like that idea. That's why I was not doing it. She's a wonderful woman, but she did not like the idea of me doing open mic nights. I thought if I don't start doing comedy, I'm going to kill myself sooner rather than later. And my second thought was, well, wait a minute. I could divorce my wife, quit my job, try comedy. 
If it works, great. If it doesn't, hell, I can still kill myself. <laughs> and that was the premise. Yeah. And that, that that's how I got into comedy. I mean, think about this. What's more powerful on this planet than somebody with absolutely nothing to lose? Absolutely. I mean, if I stayed put, I'm dead. Yeah. What the hell? So, and they liked the title, subtitle, and the idea so much, I didn't have to audition. That told me that you've got to get their attention with that title, subtitle, elevator pitch. The next one, my fifth one, my favorite, the only one I've ever gotten standing ovation for, was mental health and the orgasm, treat your depression single-handedly. And again, they called and said, no, you don't have to audition, Chief. You're you're on. You're good. You're, you're good. That, right? Yeah. And, and, and the first line of it is, you know, mental health and the orgasm, treat your depression single-handedly. The first line is, I love my iPhone, but I got to tell you, it is my second favorite handheld device. <laughs> and from that point on, they're howling. And the last joke that got me a standing ovation, and my wife said, don't do it. I said, I'm going to do it. It's going to kill. I said to them, do you know why they call an orgasm an orgasm? And they're like, no. I said, because nobody can spell standing O. <laughs> standing and o. sadly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sadly, that was the first one they didn't publish. They didn't publish it. They didn't put it up on YouTube. And they would, I said, look, edit it any way you like. Nope. Yeah. Now, I didn't understand yeah. at the time they were upset because I was doing so many. Yeah. Well, when I realized what was happening and that they'd never post another one, I did a virtual one during the pandemic, which of course I have a copy of because I recorded it on my laptop. The next one, I donated a videographer to the event so they'd have another camera angle. And I said, well, I'll have them give you the raw footage on everybody, make everybody's video just that much better. What I didn't say was that way I'm paying the videographer. I'm getting a bootleg copy. Yeah. So I'll have proof I was there. I, I can't put it on YouTube, but I can use it for marketing and Vimeo. And and so and when I went to Canada, I hired a videographer and you know, and it gave him a third camera angle and I got a copy. That's amazing. So, yeah. That's awesome. Frank, if people want to reach out to you, brother, you're all over the internet, but what's the easiest way to find your material? Obviously, YouTube. Is there any central location they can find out more about you and maybe book you for a speech? Uh are you on your you're on your computer right now? Yes, sir. Can you open another um, browser window and still have me on the screen? I think I can. I can do that. It's technology, Frank. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Just type in the mental health comedian, the mental health comedian. <laughs> okay. That's my brand. I got it, brother. And so if they type in, yeah, if they type in the mental health comedian, there should be, I mean, hopefully, uh, you know, there are lots of listings for me with that. You know, oh, yeah. Search, I got it. I got it right here. That's going to be. That's going to be linked up in the show notes. And lastly, yeah, that, that's ahead, the best way. That's my, yeah. No, if somebody's out there struggling right now, Frank, what advice would you give them? I mean, thinking about suicide, contemplating suicide, severely depressed. What would you give them? Advice from Frank, um, Frank King, the King. First, I would, I would have, I would have them get a mental health evaluation, simply an evaluation. Find out if it's just garden variety depression. Is it a depressive state of bipolar disorder? Is it, you know, what is it? B, I would recommend that if the medication they receive, if they're taking it now and it's not working or not working well, there's a DNA cheek swab test. They take your DNA like ancestry 
and they try to match um, your DNA with the psychotropic that would work best with your metabolism. Mm -hmm. It's a couple hundred bucks. A lot of insurance covers it, especially the doctor writes your prescription for it. And it narrows a list of psychotropics down to just a couple that will work well with your metabolism. So there's not so much experimentation. Yeah. Three, yeah. I would have a physical because oftentimes physical ailments present as mental health symptoms. And so those three things. And lastly, I would tell anybody that you know, love and trust what you're going through so they can be there for you. Absolutely. So you tell them, look, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what you can do to help if I crash and burn. Thank and you. there's a new 988, new three-digit number, 988, for suicide prevention lifeline and text line, same line, 988. You know, call nine if you're if you're having these struggles, call nine eight eight, especially before you step out on the ledge. Yeah. Call them as you're rolling up to that. Yeah. And the volunteer will do their best to help you, you know, deal with whatever you're dealing with. Yeah. Reach out. Frank King, you are amazing, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the show. Everything we talked about, folks, is going to be linked up in the show notes. Frank King, thank you so much, brother. Take care. And Patrick, if you'll put my phone number, my cell phone number in the show notes. Oh, go ahead. What is it, sir? Go ahead, 858. sir. 858. 858. 858. Yeah, 405. 405. 5653. Yeah, 405-5653. Yeah, and here's what I tell the audience. Look, if you're suicidal, call 988. If you're just having a really bad day, call the crazy person. Here's my cell. <laughs> And about <laughs> once every couple of weeks, somebody calls. Yeah. That's amazing, Frank. Giving out your yeah. personal cell, brother. Thank you so much, my friend. Hey, look, you're, you know, you're amazing. My goal is to save a life a day. Absolutely. Thank That's you. my goal, too. I have it in a little light up placard here. Help one today. Yes. All right, brother. Take yeah, care, in, Frank. In honor of those who are gone.